Welcome to the election 2020 series of The Candidate. We're sitting down with each party leader and putting your questions to them to help you decide who to vote for this Saturday. I'm Christina Finn, political correspondent with thejournal.ie, and today I'm joined by Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou MacDonald. Mary Lou, you're very welcome. Um, I want to fire ahead, I suppose, first of all, with uh, the issues of the day. Um, obviously, the issue with Breach Quinn uh, has been dominating the headlines. Um, you said last night that you're going to speak to her, I think, uh, on the phone. Um, did you do that? And what exactly did you say? Well, um, I, I'm making an arrangement to speak, I hope, with Breach either this afternoon or this evening. Um, and I'm just... Uh, I'm very pleased that uh, the family have accepted Conor Murphy's full retraction and apology. Uh, I heard Breege on the radio and she said that she had slept a little bit better uh, with the weight of that taken off her shoulders. And um, and now the issue is that uh, the Gardaí, the PSNI, the, the police forces need to find the ones that carried out this brutal awful murder of her son and, and bring them to justice. And she's called for um, him to step aside. That's something you're not willing to do. Well, look, Christine, we have the power sharing uh, government back up and running, not quite four weeks. I mean, it, it took three years to, to get to that place. Conor Murphy was central to getting the institutions back up and running. And he has a, a very, very important job to do. I'm determined that the power sharing government works for everybody uh, and that we make real progress. And I think that's a shared, that's the shared intention of everyone around uh, the table. Connor made a mistake. Um, he, he, he said that, that Paul Quinn was involved in criminality. Uh, he should not have said that, that that has now been retracted. At the time, you recall that there was general commentary around criminality and a criminal gang and activities up around the border. But but Connor, in, in saying that Paul was involved in criminality, was wrong. The criminals are the people who took his life. And the distress that, that those words uh, brought to the family um, endured to this day. And they, they made it very clear that they wanted a public apology, a full apology, made publicly... And and that's what Connor did. And he did it sincerely. I think anyone listening to Breed's words there about the anguish that the family have gone through over the last number of years um, would resonate with them. How has it got this far in terms of they've been calling for some sort of apology and clarity around the whole thing for a long time now? Mm -hmm. And it has come to fruition, I suppose, in the days up to the election. But how did it get this far? Do you regret that this issue wasn't dealt with Absolutely. a long time ago? Absolutely. This should have been dealt with uh, way back. And, and I regret that. And actually, I, I, I apologise for the fact that it has gone so long. That shouldn't have happened. So if you like, there were two wrongs. One, that the words were said linking uh, Paul to criminality, firstly, and secondly, that it went so long. And the only thing I can say, and I'm not I'm not trying to offer an excuse or any kind of alibi on this, is just to say that the, the statement was wrong. It has been retracted and Connor has apologised and he, he means that apology sincerely. And I'm, I hope that um, 
he will meet with the family in the in the near future. And as I say, I, I hope to speak to Breach directly myself at some stage this afternoon. And was it a slip evening. up for yourself to have not listened back to those? Yes, that audio. That, oh, absolutely. That was... And I, I tell you what, it's I mean, we're in an election campaign. You're in and out of interviews, some of them quite robust, correctly. Uh, and you're recalling. And uh, as I had recalled it, uh, Connor's commentary was more general and not as specific. But d- the fact is that he, he specifically named Paul. So, yes, that that was, um, I suppose, an honest mistake on my part. And do you think that we're days out um, from the election day? Do you feel at all that this is political opportunism from some of your opposition parties to be um, discussing this issue, um, you know, days up before people go to the polls? Well, look, I mean... <sighs> Let me let me just say, certainly from the, the point of view of the family, there's nothing opportunistic in this. Of Ab- absolutely not. Um, and I think in fairness to most political people, the answer to that question is no, I, I don't believe it is, nor should it be a political football. I, I think people know, anybody who follows elections, that there is a section of the Irish political establishment who reach automatically for the North and for the past at election time to damage Sinn Féin. I mean, I've I've gone through countless elections where that has been done. But in the case of Paul Quinn and his family, absolutely not. That that would not be the case at all. The family have been consistent. The family were hurting and traumatised. They asked for an apology. They deserved the apology. Connor has made the apology and has made it fully and sincerely. Well, I'm adamant to get on to some of our readers' questions that we put a call out. And I have to say we were inundated with... Uh, readers um, with lots of questions for you. But first of all, there was one in relation to coalitions. I think that's probably the big question on on people's minds Mm -hmm. as we head towards Saturday. Hello, Mary Lou. My name is Peter and I am a student in Cork. And my question for you is, will Sinn Féin rule out entering a coalition with either Fianna Gael and or Fianna Fáil in the subsequent negotiations following the general election? Uh, the big question, I suppose. Um, the big C, indeed. Exactly. Um, you have said in the past that you think people are being arrogant by saying they won't talk to you um, after the election results come out. Who would you be? Who would be more palatable to you? Well, Peter, my uh, first and strong preference for uh, the new government is that neither Finnegan or Fianna Fáil are in it, and I suspect listening to your question, that you're possibly in that same place as well. I mean, the ideal is that we get a real government of change that has Sinn Féin and and others, but that has the the big two who have had it all their own way for almost a century uh, out of government. Um, I think the worst outcome would be Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil together again for the next five years. I mean, we have all the evidence over the last number of years of what that has meant for people in Cork, Peter, for people in Dublin and right across the state. And then in between those, the, the best outcome and the worst outcome, you have all sorts of permutations. And I don't think anybody can be absolutely definitive in terms of what a a government might look like until we see the numbers, until the people have their say, cast their votes and fill the seats. What I have said, and I'm, I'm quite determined on this, is that after the election, I will speak to and listen to everybody. And the reason for that is it's my job uh, to do everything I can to secure and deliver a Republican programme for government. 
because we cannot have five more years of a housing crisis, five more years of record trolley counts, five more years of people listening to a lot of political rhetoric around an economic recovery and still struggling and in some cases struggling quite badly. So uh, I'm not giving you a definitive answer, Peter. Maybe that's what you were looking for. Um, but my job as a political leader is to make the maximum progress uh, for the people that we represent. And if the people come out and because they're telling me and us that they want change and if they come out and vote for Sinn Féin for change and then transfer for change, you know, it, it is it is possible that you could have a, a government without either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. And do you think uh, Leo Varadkar has said that he thinks that Micheál Martin, when push comes to shove, even though he says he's not willing to go into government with you, that if the results play, play out that you have done better than perhaps expected and Fianna Fáil need the numbers, that his party will have a discussion and will end up going into government with you. Do you think that's a possibility? I mean, it is. Uh, but more broadly, this idea... Do you think he is open to that? Do you think even though he says well, it, I, I that he is? I think any number of his colleagues are on the record actually contradicting him and saying, well, no, actually, we should talk to, to Sinn Féin and, and so on. But more broadly, it's not a sustainable position for anybody to say that you will absolutely, before the fact, rule out and discount the party that a, a huge and substantial number of people vote for. I mean... Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people vote for Sinn Féin. We represent them. So never mind us, never mind me or us as personalities. I think there is something deeply problematic with um, the political establishment saying to the people that we represent that they don't count, that they can have no opportunity uh, to have their voice or at the at the. But the, really, that, the is, that is the most straightforward option or the most bankable one, I think. For, for Sinn Féin that you need to go in with one of the larger blocks. Fianna Gael does not seem to be one um, that is open to you. Fianna Fáil, as you said, there might be some divisions within the party. Is that something you're banking on? Do you think that although you would like, obviously, to be the majority, uh, in reality, you would be looking at Micheál Martin to renege on his promise well we're not going to be the majority because we're not running enough candidates um and nobody is going to have a majority a single overall majority the days of that are gone and so too are the days of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael absolute domination of not just Irish politics but Irish government that's gone too um and uh, just to repeat to you Christine I think we need to be careful I'm very conscious I have to go and win my seat like in my own constituency in Dublin Central. So I don't want to be previous about things or jumping ahead of the people. But the, I, I think there is a simple truth that the people are in charge. They cast their votes. The results are what they are. And then a government has to be formed. And I think grown up people, smart people understand that it's at that stage that people have to decide what is possible. And for me, it's about the programme for government. It's about the what of government uh, more so than the who. But would you be asking Micheál Martin to think long and hard about that when he, when the numbers come out? There's a real politique in this, uh, Christine, that everybody will have to think very long and very hard. And at the end of the day, um, we need a government that actually serves the people. And what I want is, in terms of Sinn Féin, for people to have the opportunity of a party in government 
that is connected with the people, that cares about the people and that unambiguously serves the common interest and not the interests of the big players, the would high you, rollers. Would you like to be Taunashta, essentially, is that? Do you know what? It's not, it's not, this for me isn't about a job for me. I mean, I'd like to change things and I want to make my contribution. And I'm not just saying as a cliche, you know, this, is, this isn't a career ladder for me. This isn't a career aspiration. This is about changing things fundamentally at a time when there's big issues confronting us here in this state. And at a time also when the issue of constitutional change is in the air and needs to be planned and prepared for. We have another question from Keith and Rahini, exactly on what you were t- discussing there, the numbers. Hi, Christina. It's Keith from um, Rahini in Dublin. Um, I have a question for Mary Lou MacDonald. The media have undermined Sinn Féin from the off in this election and have segregated them from key debates at the start of the campaign trail. However, Sinn Féin, have Sinn Féin not undermined themselves in this election by only electing, selecting approximately 42 candidates compared to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael who have selected approximately 80 to 82 candidates each? For Sinn Féin to get 23% of the electorate, it would mean winning 36 seats or else 92.5% of their candidates winning their seats. Do you feel Sinn Féin have badly prepared for the election and have undermined themselves? Thanks very much. A question there from Keith. Um, mm-hmm. The numbers issue is: was it a mistake on your part to only field that number in this election? Well, the, the honest truth of that is that we will not know until Sunday or Monday. And I just say to Keith that, you know, it's all very well to field your candidates. You can run as many candidates as you want. The issue is getting candidates elected, and. Um, certainly in, in the fullness of time, who knows, we may look back and I might say that was that was a missed opportunity. But we prepared well for this organisation. Just bear in mind that we had we had a bad day out last summer. Uh, a huge amount of work and preparation had to be invested. Did that play into the decision to only run that number in terms of were, were you looking at the polls back then? A bad day, as you said, I, I was there at the RDS and you did look rather shook when the, when the results were coming in on the locals. Was it, were you being cautious, I suppose, fielding that number? I don't know if you call it caution. We certainly were setting out to hold all of the seats that we currently have, which is 22, and then to make gains. Um, maybe this uh, election is part of the kind of the, 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 the story of, of growth uh, of, of Sinn Féin. But let me just say this, and this again is not to be, you know, putting the mockers on us at the, you know, with two or three days to polling day. Uh, every single one of us has to go out now and win our seat. Um, I want uh, just to say that all of our candidates are fighting to win across the constituencies. We have a really strong slate of candidates, really strong talent coming up, which is uh, which is just excellent. And Keith, maybe I'll be on a a programme like this after the event and I, I will be able to give a more real response, factual response to, to the theory that he's... There is a real concern that, um, you know, after this election, if the numbers um, aren't there for Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael and cobbling together with the Greens and the Labour and all the rest, that even if there is some sort of rainbow government that is comes about, that it won't last very long and that we could be in another general election within a year or a couple of months' time. So in that scenario, if you did particularly well in this election, would you be doubling that number of candidates uh, in a hypothetical election? Well, the party would have to deliberate on that. But just just to say to you, um, we don't want instability in in the system. 
we want good government. So um, it's not our intention uh, to do anything other than to get as many people as elected as we can um, to then do everything that we can to establish the delivery of a Republican program for government. So, I mean, I'm not shying away. You know, people say, you hear our critics say lots of things about us, but one of the things they say is Sinn Féin's not interested in government, we don't do. I am saying, I have said explicitly now for a very long time that we are not, uh, we're not in the business of sitting on the sidelines. We need to roll up our sleeves. We need to get things sorted, particularly the issue of housing, Christine. I mean, we cannot we cannot countenance another year, another two year, another five years with the crisis that we have now. So we want to get things done. And in good faith, every vote that's cast for us, the mandate that we get, we will use that to the maximum to, to on the, deliver. On the issue people. of the polls, were you surprised um, by the poll numbers that came back for Sinn Féin? What was your reaction when, when those I, tweets I think, were coming I, I would imagine that everybody was surprised when when it came that we actually had come out on top in in the most recent poll i'm um maybe i'm strange as a person who's uh, a political rep and a, an activist and the leader of a political party but i'm not i'm not a, a poli- i'm not a, a a poll watcher or you know a numbers uh, fanatic i'm a bit old school and i believe that the only poll that matters is on the day so if there's going to be opinion polling please don't get me wrong of course you want it going in the right direction naturally um but you don't run away with yourself either on on the day it'll be about who comes out to vote and by the way the political establishment and they're saying this very openly are banking on younger voters uh, voters from from less well off suburbs staying at home, and what are you and, going and to we do need to, get to defy that. I am. I, we're going to use. I'm going to use every platform available to me to say they're counting on you staying at home. Don't sit at home. Come out and use your vote. Vote for Sinn Féin. Vote for change, but also transfer for change too. Um, another question here from John Phelan, and I think this probably is one of the crooks when people are considering um, voting for Sinn Féin, perhaps, and the narrative that might have been surrounding the party in the past. John Phelan, South Dublin, Rathfarnham. My question for Mary Lou is, are you the boogie woman? And should the people of Ireland be afraid of Sinn Féin in government? So a very direct mm, question there. Absolutely. But um, the sort of narrative that you hear from a lot of the time discussing Sinn Féin, the shadowy figures um, can't be trusted. And we've discussed this before that there is concern perhaps about the past, the legacy issues with um, Sinn Féin and particularly around the Ord Corlea. Can you explain t- to someone who doesn't know how Sinn Féin works, the Ord Corlea? Because Padre Tobin was in with us um, during the week and he was saying that he had asked for reforms of it, that he wanted 51% or so to be elected and that the percentage is lower than that. And I suppose from people that are listening at home want to know, who exactly these people are, mm-hmm. how it works. Can you just give sure. that breakdown? Sure, no, I'm, I'm happy to. Well, firstly, uh, John, I'm I'm not a bogey woman. I'm a Dublin woman. Actually, I grew up on the south side, not very far from Rathfarnham, where you are yourself. I went to school in Dublin. I'm the mother of two teenage children. I live in Cabra with my husband and with our dog. Unfortunately, our dog died recently, which was one of the major familial traumas for us in the course of this campaign. I'm a regular person and I'm a political activist <clears throat> and I'm the leader of Sinn Féin. So the idea that there is something personally suspect about me is just daft. 
Like it's just, it, I, I'm not like a cardboard cut out figure to say, oh, that's, she's pretending to. I am a real, per- this is who I am. Um, on the issue of the party, and I, I, I just, I feel I can say this to you, Christine, right? This business of shadowy figures and who's pulling the strings and all. That narrative in that articulated in that way has coincided with me becoming leader and with another woman, Michelle O'Neill, uh, entering in as the last Uthron and the joint first minister north of the border. And I have a strong sense that there is at least an undertone of sexism and misogyny in suggesting that our strings are pulled. Let me tell you, John, another thing about myself. I'm very stubborn. I'm very willful. I know my own mind. And God help anybody who tried to pull my strings or tell me what to do. So you do think and, gender is at play? I, in I, oh, I, I, I can land on no other conclusion. Because uh, when my predecessor, who the media thought they'd never see the back of, uh, they were constantly saying how he had to go and all this. <clears throat> but that, that accusation was never levelled. So I'm not somebody's puppet. I'm a grown up woman. Uh, and I know my own mind and Michelle uh, similarly. The party structures aren't actually ironically dissimilar to, to other political parties, most notably perhaps Fianna, Fianna Fáil, that also has an Ord Corla and all of that. The Ord Corla um, is elected in the first instance at the Ordesh, which is a public forum. It's like the annual conference. <clears throat> it's open. Uh, everybody's there. Lots of uh, it is televised. And we elect, we, we elect people from two lists, men and women. And we also elect the party officer board. And that's where I was elected. And I hope we'll be elected again as the Uthron, as the leader of the party. And then outside of that, the regional structures, Dublin, Munster and so on, they elect representation onto the Ord Corla. And then we have party departmentalists, so policy or you know, the doll or the assembly. So it actually adds up to, I, I think, about 56 members of the Org Corlet, which I can tell you is a very big meeting to have. And it runs the the policy and the operation. We're a huge party. But if that, if that keeps We're getting leveled at you in interviews such as this about tell us what who's on it, would it not be more transparent to just have the names, but the, the breakdown the names, of the biographies? No, but the names, are, the names are publicly available. Like there's no, in fact... Television cameras have been in filming the Orcord. There's nothing secret about it. And to be honest with you, the, the charge that's levelled is is just is just daft. And do you think it needs to be reformed? If Padder said that he had put some sort of reform document well, to well, you and Jerry and nothing came about. Yeah, well, well, Padder made his his own decisions and, and that's 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 Pather's business. The the party structures will always have to be looked at to be honed and developed and all, because we're no different to any organisation. Our membership has grown phenomenally. Um, we're organised right across the island. So we're in the north, we're in the south, we're in the European Parliament. And we, we're a big, big organisation. So it's not like, um, say, 15 or 20 years ago, Sinn Féin was of a different scale. And so it operated differently. So it's been a challenge to actually manage the growth politically but also organizationally but you know a lot of this thing of who's the ord corolla and, and who's it actually john if, if if you if you want you're you're very welcome to come to the next door that wherever we have and you can actually see the thing in action just one more question from um a woman here and she's discussing the issue of taxation and it's something i think that um Sinn Féin have been questioned a lot about in the manifesto yeah. Um, basically saying that Sinn Féin is going to tax a lot of people 
we're all going to end up paying more if you end up on government. My name is Emma and I live in County Dublin. I would like to ask Mary Lou Macdonald if she fully realises the impact of all of the additional taxes on people earning over 100,000. We are a single income family and my husband earns just over 100,000 a year. We already pay over 5,000 a month in tax. And if Sinn Féin came in tomorrow, we would be potentially down a further 420 a month. This reckless taxation policy will put further pressure on employers of highly skilled workers and is also going to be detrimental to the recruitment of badly needed consultants for our hospitals. So obviously a concern there for sure. herself. Um, sometimes you don't hear concerns about mm -hmm. the people over the 100K. Um, there's a lot of discussion as well about the, the lower income workers, but sure. she's saying that she pays a lot of tax and under Sinn Féin she'll be paying a lot more. All right, so so Emma, the good news is that you won't be paying additional tax. In fact, everybody earning individual income up to €100,000 will pay less tax. That's because we have uh, proposed to remove the first €30,000 earned by every worker from the universal social charge. You'll recall that that was the austerity, the emergency tax introduced by Fianna Fáil. Uh, we're going to do that. Uh, secondly, it's individual income over 140,000 euro, not joint family, you know, household income, but individual income over 140,000 euro. Yes, we propose to levy an additional 5% on earnings above that for people, single, you know, individual people who earn uh, th that type of salary. And, you know, if, if you, I've said this before, if you're lucky enough, if you've worked hard enough, if you're talented enough to command a salary like that, I commend you. But yes, you are going to have to pay a, a little bit more tax. I, I just want to ad address the issue of consultants and yeah, doctors. Yeah, that's something that has come up a yeah, lot. Yeah, because that... I, I'm just, um, I'm just wary of people reaching for doctors to make a taxation argument. Let me just say to you what I mean by that. I was in the Rotunda Hospital um, a number of weeks back. It's actually the place I had my own uh, babies, but uh, I wasn't in there for the purpose of having another baby. Um, and I was talking to the master and was talking to, to the doctors and the, the medics, the, the consultants in the Rotunda are crowdfunding for equipment for very sick neonates. Now, I'm, I'm saying that to you because I think it's important to remember the doctors care about their patients. The doctors within our system, the biggest concern that they raise with me is not their salary, not what they're earning, although they're entitled to a good salary because they've worked hard and they're highly qualified. They tell me the system is cracking. They're not convinced at times that their patients are even safe. And that's including very, very young patients. I understand that the, the, the consultants that you're talking to who are already in the system, perhaps. OK, you know, but we're talking about attracting, attracting. the ones that have sure. left and they are looking at the 250,000. And I've spoken. They've been promised and they're going to be taxed more yes. for that. And I have spoken to doctors who have come home and doctors who haven't come home, but might. So you, you meet all of these. And the first thing that we need to get right to attract talent uh, and skill back into our health system is to make sure um, that the resourcing is right. We also need to deal with the issue of pay equality uh, because it's not all about doctors, it's about nurses uh, as well. You know, a lot of people who would be considering coming home now, medics and otherwise, look at our island, look at this city, look at Cork, look elsewhere and say, where would I live and how would I afford to live there? So the other thing I want to say, Dem, is this. Our proposals are also about 
making affordable housing affordable. They're about making childcare, for example, where we have to make and we propose a very, very big investment in the next term of government and an even more ambitious plan for, for the decade to make childcare and early childhood education affordable and quality. And that can be done. So there's a mix of measures, Emma, in our proposals that far from making life harder for me, because you do pay a lot of tax. Let me acknowledge that you do pay your taxes. And I happen to think you're entitled to good services for that. If you were on an individual income over 140,000 euros, yes, we're going to ask you to pay a bit more. The banks are going to be asked to pay their corporation tax loopholes uh, and very light touch around vulture funds. And so we're going to close those down. I think that's the right thing to do. I think that's that's what you do to fund services and opportunities in a decent society. Just one more question um, on the issue of uh, United Ireland from Dara here for yourself. My name is Dara Lee. I live in Navan, and my question for Mary Lou is this. If joining NATO was necessary to have a united Ireland, uh, would she do so? In other words, which is her priority, a united Ireland or holding on to our policy of military neutrality? An interesting one there for you. It certainly uh, is. And uh, I, would, I would say to Darren that in many respects, you can't have one without the other. I mean, the, the policy of Irish neutrality goes back to back as far as Wolf Tone. This isn't some contrived position by Sinn Féin in, in modern times. I think our position of active neutrality goes to the core of our national identity in many ways, but also its core to what we bring to the international table. We're never going to be a hard power, you know. We shouldn't try to be. We bring soft power. We bring an, an enormous credibility because of our experience of colonialism, of partition. Um, and I, I believe it, particularly in a united Ireland, we would be bringing a credibility, a skill set that, that can be extremely valuable uh, uh, to, to the international community. But look, I, I also accept, Aaron, that you might have a different view. Um, and... What, what I have been saying is that we need to start the preparation now for constitutional change. This is happening, folks. This isn't in my imagination. This conversation is live now. And if you and, had to make that choice that he's, he's asking. Well, I don't anticipate that I'm going to be faced with that kind of binary either or choice. I happen to think that the attachment to the our status as a military neutral is really, really deep. And I, I believe that it's island wide. So I don't think it's going to arise. But let me say, Darren, on that question, on broader questions around service provision and the economic model and investment and jobs, all of these things need to start. We need to start teasing them out and we need to do it now. And the next government needs to lead from the front. We need a forum or a citizens assembly, but we need to get the work I started now. I know you have a busy now. schedule, so just one more, que one more question. It was in relation to the special criminal courts. You were asked a question during that debate and you yep. said that you were in favour of the courts. Do you think that trans more transparency and clarity around questions like that... Um, is of concern to voters in terms of could you have been more clear stating the special criminal court you have said it's not to be abolished mm -hmm. in your manifesto where do you stand on it and second of all on Brexit uh, Simon Coveney has said that how could you imagine Sinn Féin dealing with um, 
number 10 on the issue of Brexit. Well, I, let me deal with that one first. We deal with, as Simon well knows, uh, with t- number 10 all of the time of, of necessity because of the peace process. So not alone can he imagine that. He knows that that's a, a reality. Secondly, we dealt extensively with Michel Barnier, with Guy Verhofstadt and others at a European level. Actually, if there's any party that's well able and well experienced in negotiating, carrying those kind of mandates, we're the party with the huge experience uh, in that. Maybe in the debate the other night, I could have been clearer. I mean, it's, you know, there's it's 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 quite an atmosphere. You've you've people and bear in mind, I wasn't just being asked the questions. I had the two boys who seem to have rehearsed their lines together on the right of me coming at me, too. But so there, there was a few um, memes going around that, you know, the courts, she's in favour of the basketball courts I, and the I tennis courts that. and all the rest. I saw that. Could you have been more yeah, clear no, in well, terms well, of then exactly let me, your position? Let me be absolutely clear about this. We're not calling for the abolition of the special criminal court in our manifesto. So that's clear. But what I tried to say at the debate and perhaps either by accident or design didn't uh, maybe get across for for, uh, some of your listeners is this. We have to accept that there are communities across the state uh, who have been left very, very vulnerable, where these so-called gangland type figures are believe they're untouchable, uh, act with impunity and create huge fear and danger in the community. And we need to get to grips with that. And the truth is, and the people in Drogheda told us this when we were all down there recently, what we have at the moment is falling short. I wish that wasn't the case, but that's the case. So what do we want to do? We want a review on the watch of a high court judge and we want to review everything. And that has to start at the start, which is gather resources and numbers. Uh, it has to start with um, things like uh, the judicial system in, in its totality, not just the non-jury piece, um, but also things like sentencing levels. I mean, I have lost count of the number of times people have told me stories where somebody was apprehended, was taken through the system, but then the sentence didn't match the crime. We need to look at that. We need to look at the fact that we have what people call a revolving door system. So I'm arguing to make things better. I don't want to get into a political ding dong on this issue. What we need to do is ensure that people can walk safely on their streets, sleep safely in their beds and also that our young people, maybe particularly our young men, but our young women as well, but maybe more particularly our young men, that we mind them, that we resource things in the community that ensures that no other 17 year old child gets himself in so deep with the wrong people that he meets the kind of brutal death that one of our citizens met in Drogheda. That's what I want to happen. So there's nothing, we're not trying to be awkward. We're not trying to be difficult on this question. I represent the north inner city of Dublin, Christine, and I am telling you that what we have now is not bringing the kind of result and sense of security that the people I represent are fully entitled to. Marilyn MacDonald, thanks very much for joining us today in the journal.ie. Thanks, Christine. Many thanks to Mary Lou MacDonald for joining us today. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Candidate with me, Christina Finn. We appreciate you sending in your questions and apologise if we didn't get to include yours. If you'd like to listen back to our interview with the other party leaders we've met so far, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced and co-edited by Laura Byrne and Nikki Ryan. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts and we'd love if you shared it with a friend you think would enjoy it. See you next time.